Well, happy Easter. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. I'm so glad that you're here today uh, with us as we celebrate Easter in a kind of a unique, different way here at the Christian Church of Estes Park. We're disciples of Jesus that build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. And it's kind of strange not being all together in the building today, but that's all right. You know, it kind of reminds me of the very first Easter people celebrated in their homes as well. So maybe we're just kind of going way old school, but uh, we'll hopefully break this next year. But I'm glad that you joined us. Uh, today we're starting a brand new series as we celebrate uh, Resurrection Sunday, and it's called Living Hope. And we're going to be talking this morning about four biblical promises that give us a real living hope no matter what. Now, when I say living uh, in Scripture, the idea of that living hope, living is usually used like living waters. It means like a, the idea of a flow, like a, like a river uh, that just keeps on going. And we would, the Scripture fills us with the kind of hope that just kind of continues to flow, just unending. And that's what we're going to be going for today. But also this series is not just about having a living hope that swells up with, through us and just kind of flows out in our lives and spills over community. It's also the kind of hope that helps us stand when, well, sometimes this world has a different kind of flow. I remember uh, 2013, I just became lead pastor here at the church here, and uh, we had a kind of a uh, first of, uh, dry season, and there was fire, and we were worried about that, and then we prayed for rain, and boy, oh boy, did we get some, and it rained and rained and rained, and then we got to see a different kind of, of living waters, and uh, as the waters rose and the storm came, uh, the, the power of that flood, just, it did all kinds of damage here in the community and to the church and all, lots of lies, and so in that time, uh, we discovered that it's important to have a good foundation, right? Where the waters came, uh, places that didn't have a good foundation, those houses fell, and those that had a solid foundation, uh, those, uh, those houses stood. And there's a principle for us in life there that you can survive the storms of life with the right foundation. So when the, the, the living storms of, of, of life hit, uh, we want to help you in this series to find that hope to stand so that you have a good foundation, as well as having that living hope that flows from our life. So both sides. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Now, the living hope that we have that gives us stability to handle life storms, the living hope that we have to, to have a life that overflows with this joy and this hope, starts with something uh, amazing that we're going to celebrate today. And it's called the resurrection. And that's when our Lord and Savior Jesus, when God took on flesh, He came to this earth, He died and then he rose again. And we're going to be talking about that today as why the resurrection changes everything. How it takes us from the point of the storms of life when things are difficult, the sufferings that many of us are going through right now, and gives us that confidence that what's coming next and who's holding us in the midst of us is far greater than what we're suffering today. In fact, our memory verse for this particular series is, speaks right to that. The memory verse for our series we've chosen is Romans uh, chapter 18 or chapter 8, verse 18, and it says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Isn't that an awesome passage, an awesome promise, that we know that regardless of how rough things are, our present sufferings, we're not even going to compare to what God has in store for us, good things. And so that's why we picked this verse for our memory verse for our series. So here we'd like you to do, if you're new with us, maybe your first time or second time joining us, uh, it's going to be super easy. Just say it along with us. I know it might sound weird talking to your computer screen, but uh, just say it along with us. And what we're doing is we're allowing God's word to begin penetrating into our hearts so it can do its work to give us that kind of courage and hope that we need. So here we go. Say it along with me. Three 
2.1. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Romans 8.18. Oh, I'm sure you sound great. Let's say it again. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Romans 8, 18. All right. So one more time. Let's uh, say it all together and uh, test ourselves here. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Romans 8, 18. Awesome. So let me challenge you, uh, just take some time this next week uh, to remind yourself of that amazing passage. Because I know a lot of us in this community right now are really going through some hard times. Difficult things are happening. Uh, a lot of people really are suffering. And we as a church have been trying to come around and support one another. And it's been beautiful to see how the church has been doing that. Bringing meals to one another, calling one another, taking groceries to each other. And uh, even the, the canned food drive that we did raised uh, $60,000 for Crossroads and all kinds of food. It's been, you guys are serving and helping one another. And the reason we're helping is there's a lot of suffering. And so in the midst of that suffering, let's remind ourselves that today is, doesn't, is not forever, that the storm will pass, and what God has for us is greater than what we're going through today. So take some time this week, think about that, maybe that becomes your prayer. All right, let's get into the message. If you have your Bibles, would you please open them up to the Gospel of Matthew, and they'll be right at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, okay? And so take, your, take a second, open the, your Bibles up to that chapter 28, and uh, you'll notice that uh, the, the Gospels are the story of Jesus' life told by those that were with him, uh, obviously under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And chapter 28 is the end of the story of, of Jesus' earthly ministry, is the very end of it. And so we're going to read about the, the crucifixion happened, and we're going to be talking about uh, reading in Scripture what happened at the end of that, uh, uh, after the crucifixion. So here we go, starting in verse 1. It says, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going into the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men." And so as an interesting passage, we begin the resurrection, how it took place. Uh, it started out, it was, everything was dark. Uh, it, was, it seemed like death had won. Jesus had been in the tomb several days. There were guards stationed out front uh, to make sure that no one stole the body. And then all of a sudden, we see these terrifying events. Earthquakes, angels show up, soldiers are so terrified by it, they're passed out. And you have these two these two young ladies who were going to go embalm their Lord, uh, put spices on his body to help the decay not smell so bad. They're going to grieve and to serve, and they come across this scene. And what do we read next in the midst of this? Because this right now, I don't think that they thought it was good news. <laughs> in verse 5 and 6, we read, it says, The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Now, first, when we get into that, that passage there, you see where it says, uh, the angel says, hey, uh, don't be afraid, right? This is a time to be afraid. If you were one of those gals, this is a time that you would be afraid. Now, think about it. They've got several, I could, off the top of my head, I could think of three good reasons for them to be afraid. The first one is that they were talking to an angel, which 
let's be honest, if an angel showed up in a graveyard, you're going to a graveyard, an angel shows up, you probably would need to change your pants, right? So the first thing the angel says, hey, don't panic, right? That's the first reason they should be afraid. The second reason they should be afraid is Jesus' body was missing, right? This is somebody that they loved. Loved so much that they were going and they're going to embalm his body. They're going to grieve over him and all of this. And they show up and they see this crazy scene where there's an earthquake. And you've got soldiers passed out on the ground and an angel there. And the body of your Lord is gone. Reason for anxiety. If nothing else, reason for anxiety. And the third reason that we see that they, I think that they have reason for fear is that they were followers of Jesus. And Jesus was dead because the authorities killed him. And if they killed Jesus, what do you think they're going to do to his followers? Right? So I imagine these women, as they were going out that morning, they left with heavy hearts, already filled with anxiety, not knowing if they themselves were going to be safe. If they were going to get down there to embalm the body, there were soldiers there. They were going to keep him out of the tomb anyway. I mean, they already had concerns. They show up and all these things, they see an angel, they, the body was missing. They're already maybe worried about the law. And an angel shows up and the audacity says, hey, don't be afraid. But there's a reason the angel said, don't be afraid. He said, don't be afraid because Jesus is risen. He overcame the grave. He's not here. You understand this passage, when we look at this passage, you see the power of the resurrection, how in an instant it changed everything. And not just for these women, but for all of us. I mean, think about it. Good Friday, just a few days ago, we came together on Good Friday, and we, we remembered the crucifixion. That Good Friday was a day of death. Good Friday was a day of fear. Good Friday was a day of anxiety. Good Friday was a day of weakness. Good Friday was a day of uncertainty. And I think that right now in our country, it feels a lot like Good Friday. Does it feel like it's maybe an age of death, of fear, an age of anxiety, an age of weakness or uncertainty? Yeah. And I think it's been a hard time for a lot of people. But I hear it's the good news is it doesn't stay Friday forever. And Sunday came. And on Easter Sunday, instead of crucifixion, we find resurrection. And instead of, of fear, we find peace. Instead of anxiety, there is power. Instead of weakness, there is purpose. Instead of uncertainty, there is hope. There is hope. You know, we go from the shaky ground of the cross from Friday to the solid ground of the empty tomb. That is the journey these women took. And the angel spoke to them and said, don't be afraid. There is a reason that we don't have fear. And it's not just wishful thinking. The tomb is empty. The Lord has risen. And there's some power to that. And you know, the resurrection has been changing lives from that very first Easter. And it wasn't just these women. Think about the apostles themselves. I mean, Peter goes from being this denier, right? He denies Jesus to becoming the rock of faith. Talk about a change. Or Thomas, the Apostle Thomas goes from being a doubter to becoming this amazing, powerful missionary. Or the Apostle John, the Apostle John, goes from being this, this broken-hearted, broken man to becoming a bold pastor of the church. And of course, we see these Marys go from being tearful to triumphant. The resurrection changes everything, always has and will always will. It doesn't just change people in the past. It changes people today. 
The resurrection can even change you. Maybe you're a little bit shaken right now. I know a lot of people are. Right now, we're going through the flood. Right now, it feels like September 2013, and the rain just keeps on coming. And we see all of the erosion happening, and the foundations are being challenged. I mean, maybe right now, you're feeling really shaken. Maybe finances are an issue for you. it's, It's hard. Maybe right now, relationships are struggling. You're all stuck at home, and it's difficult. And I tell you what, pressure squeezes out what's inside, doesn't it? It's like when you get and it just kind of shoots out, and maybe there's some difficulty that you're having in your relationships. Then maybe you're shaking right now. You're worried about your health. Maybe you're not feeling good. Uh, maybe you're worried about that. Maybe you're worried about possibly getting sick, and it's make you afraid. Or maybe you're just there's all kinds of ways that people are suffering right now. I'll tell you what. The, the, today feels like Friday, but it's not. That we've crossed that point. That there is hope today. There is good news for you in the midst of all of this. That you, maybe you're asking right now, where can I find living hope when things go wrong? Well, that's what we're talking about. That's what, that the joy of the resurrection, that's where you can find living hope. In fact, over these next seven weeks, we're going to be, this whole series is about filling up with that living hope, having it fill into our lives so it spills over into the rest of our lives, into our community, and to help us with real things like illness and death and doubt and failure. But even more than that, how that living hope can also help fill our lives and help us have healthy families and, and live full lives and, and help in, in our communities and to fill this community with hope as well. Do you need living hope? Well, then join us. This is what we're going to be talking about these next seven weeks. But today, I want to lay that foundation. So if you have your Bibles, again, you had them on on chapter 28, just turn them back a few pages. And why don't you join me in Matthew chapter 7, right? And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells us a really important story, a secret of how we can have a strong life in the midst of of the difficulty, the storms of life. And so we're going to start reading in verse 24. And so Matthew 7, verse 24, this is the words of, of Jesus in this story. He says, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. The secret to standing life storms so that we can be filled with this living hope to overflowing starts when we begin building our lives on Christ's teachings which is why at our church we say that we're disciples of Jesus that build generational, transformational disciples. Guess what we're building on? How Christ tells us his teachings, how to build a life that is, that is above and, and uh, stronger than the storms that come against us. And as we do that, let me share with you, as we build our lives on the, on the powerful teachings of Christ, four biblical promises for living hope as we do that. And the first promise that that we have for for living hope as we build our lives on Christ's teaching is this, that God gives me peace when I'm anxious. (laughs) Could you use some peace, right? 
I tell you, this world, this is a time of anxiety. This is really very much a time for just people to panic. And I think that's what we've seen. The, the lack of toilet paper alone shows you that people are in panic, full-on panic. I don't know why toilet paper, they think, is going to save them from a virus, but it's just happened, right? People are in a time of anxiety and of great panic and are just acting weird, right? What we need now is peace. And then here's something great, is that peace was the very first gift of Easter. You know, think about the disciples before Easter. Where were they? they were anxious, weren't they? They were terrified because they had just seen God the Son executed and dead. And he had been dead for several days. And so look at this, what happens in the Gospel of John. John's, uh, he was there, and this is what he said happens on that very first Easter Sunday. He says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, peace be with you. And don't breeze past that. What was the very first thing that Jesus says to disciples? Peace. Peace be with you. The first thing the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. The first word of the apostles, peace. Could you use peace right now? In the midst of everything is broken, that God gives us a peace. And the very next verse, he explains it just a little bit deeper. He says, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. So it's not a light peace. Jesus didn't just show up and be like, hey, guys, uh, you know, buck up. You know, how come you're afraid? He shows up in the midst of their despair, the darkest hour, the darkest time, in the middle of their anxiety, in the middle of the storm. Jesus shows up right there, and he says, he declares peace. And then, as, as they're there, I'm sure, in amazement, he says, look, here's the evidence that I've overcome. Peace, my peace be with you. See, Jesus had power over death, and that is why the disciples' despair turned to joy. Everything that we worry about in this world is under Christ's control. If he can overcome death, if God has come into this world and has conquered our sin, has conquered death, he's conquered everything. Everything is under the control of our powerful Savior Jesus. Not even death can stop him. And that gives us good reason for peace. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, he, he said, he says this, he kind of talks about it this way. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the peace that, that he's talking about here is a peace that doesn't make sense. The peace of this world makes sense when everything's hunky-dory, when the economy's going gangbusters and, and uh, people are healthy and we don't have a, uh, a pandemic at times of peace, people are like, yeah, it makes sense that you have a, a sense of calm in your spirit. Everything looks good. But when the storms come and the pandemic hits and your job goes away and all of that, when it doesn't make sense to have peace, when everybody else is freaking out and buying toilet paper, God says, for you, you can have peace. You don't have to have anxiety in any situation. And here's the promise, that you can have that, but there's something you have to do. 
in every situation. He says, instead of going to anxiety and worrying about things that you can't now control over anyhow, he says, you can come to me and, and present your quest to me. He's going to hear you and, and know that he's got the power to act, but also to go with him in thanksgiving. And the power of that thanksgiving, don't, don't pass that. You're not being thankful for the difficulty that you're going into. You're being thankful to who God is who's going to carry you past it. If you need healing, you thank God that he's the God who can raise the dead and can heal the sick. If you need finances, you thank God that he is the heavenly provider that can provide all of your needs and promises to do that if we seek him and his kingdom first. If you need wisdom, be thankful that our God actually knows what is best, that he is a wonderful counselor. If you need companionship, why don't you thank God that he is ever present? He is a friend closer than a brother. Whatever is your need, when you bring your request to God, remind yourself of who God is and how he is able to handle whatever it is you bring your way. And as you do that consistently, the promise is the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds that he's going to help you in the midst of of whatever happens in this world. You get to live in peace when the rest of the world has anxiety. What a gift! But that's only the first promise of building our life on Christ's teachings. Look at this second promise of living hope that we get, and that's this, that God gives me power when I'm weak. Now, everybody's weak at times, right? All of us. In fact, I think right now a lot of us feel very powerless, and that's why there's so much anxiety. Jobs were taken away. We don't have the ability to fix things, right? A lot of things are outside of our control, right? And so this is one of the reasons why most people go into despair. I can't help it. I'm somehow a victim to the winds of this world and to this storm. And here's the wonderful thing, the great news of the resurrection, that God is with us. He is alive and He is powerful. What good news! And because we have this amazing God with us who will never leave us nor forsake us even in the middle of our storms, that God is the ability to carry us through. You know, one of the the greatest twistings of Scripture that I think the devil has done is a lie that's out there, and people say this all the time. Bad doctrine. Let's say this, that God will never give you more than you can handle. That's baloney, right? Uh, I mean, this world is more than any of us can handle. That's not what the Bible says at all right? If God never gave us more than can handle, why would we ever need God, right? Uh, why would he need to come and save us? That's, that's ridiculous. The scripture says God will never allow us to suffer more temptation than we're able to stand up to. So we can't uh, blame him when we sin, right? But the, the promise isn't, Jesus never said he's never going to allow us to, to face more than we can handle, right? We broke this world. It's pretty bad sometimes. And for a lot of us, this illness, all these things are more than we can handle. The promise that Jesus gave us is that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And there is not a problem in this world that he can't handle. Isn't that better? And so in the midst of today, know that God has the ability and the capacity to help you, to empower you to get through today. Now, he said, don't worry about tomorrow because he'll be there tomorrow as well. And so whatever you face tomorrow, he'll be there for you. And that's the very same power that God has put in us, that, that he helps us. It's the very same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, which is a lot of power to overcome really anything. I mean, if you can overcome your own death, you probably handle a lot of other great things in life too, right? Christ is powerful enough. That's why Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 says this, He, that's Christ, is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. 
For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we will live with him in our dealings with you. That our power in a life doesn't come from us. That in fact, in our weaknesses, Christ is strong. That he actually sometimes uses and oftentimes uses the very things that, that are our weaknesses for the greatest power, the greatest good. I can think of so many times that even my failings, God has redeemed and has used those failings to help me minister and to help other people. And so we're not worried about our weakness. It's not our power that gets us through this life anyway. It's Christ's power, which is why Paul writes in the book of Philippians, his letter to the Philippian church, he says, now I can do all this who gives through him who gives me strength. Other passages, other versions of that say, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And he's not talking about, you know, just being able to, you know, bench press Long's Peak. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about here in context, he says, it doesn't matter if I have, uh, if I have a lot of money or if I'm completely poor. It doesn't matter if I'm, ple- I'm really healthy or I'm really, really sick. It doesn't matter if I have lots of friends or nobody likes me. It doesn't matter what happens in life or what this world throws at me. I can do, I can handle all of life through Christ who gives me strength. And so God has uh, given us great strength in, in the midst of this life. And so, you know what? This uh, world is too big for us. It really is. Let's just be honest. We need God. And isn't it wonderful that He's with us, that He rose from the grave, that He's given us the powerful gift of His indwelling presence, the Holy Spirit? But here's the thing. Those are the first two promises. The third promise is even better. It says that not only God gives me power to handle life, but also God gives me protection when I'm afraid. As we build our life on Christ's teaching, God gives me protection in this life. Everybody has fear. Everybody's afraid of something. I don't want keeps you up at night, but I'm glad for this, that our God is awake, that our, our Heavenly Father never sleeps nor slumbers, that He watches over us, and He's never going to allow us to suffer anything that He's not able to carry us through and also redeem no one has a perfect life. That this doesn't exist, right? I don't care what, what uh, Facebook or uh, all those other social media apps try to tell you. People try to curate all their stuff. But I tell you, everybody has got difficult things. And storms come for everybody, right? Everybody's faced hardship. And life will have difficult things because that's the human condition because we broke this planet. We hijacked it from God. And then we're like, why is it so bad? Well, because we hijacked this world. We've run things the best we knew how, and sometimes the best we know how isn't the best way. And storms come, and life gets hard. Sometimes we lose our jobs. Sometimes a pandemic hits. Who knew? But here's the thing. All things, God's going to give me the ability to handle, but in all things, He's also going to protect me in the midst of, which means that He's not going to allow me to suffer something that He's not at work in. And as we go through life's storms, if we build our life on Christ's teachings, we're building our life on a solid foundation that protects us from falling prey to the difficulties of this world. And so we anchor our lives into the bedrock, which is God's Word. We we learn what it says and we, we begin to practice and put into our lives. As we do that, we find a beautiful stability, a beautiful place that helps us handle the difficulties as they come. 
And as we have this bedrock to build our life upon, then we are filled with God's hope, a living hope that flows out from us, knowing that God is doing far more good through us than all the evil that this world could ever offer, that the kingdom of God is advancing and God's goodness flows from his people and he's doing something redemptive today. Even today, God is doing something redemptive. And so we have this living hope in in our faith in God and His plan. And so we read in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, that Jesus says, I have told you these things. He he said, listen, I'm going to die, I'm going to raise again. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. That first promise. So in this world you'll have trouble. Amen, Jesus. But take heart, have hope. I have overcome the world. Jesus overcame this world. He overcame the entire world. Jesus overcame our sin. So if you've got sin, which all of us do, He overcame it. Took it with Him to the cross, killed it. He's given you a new life, a life, a new righteousness in Him. How about death? Death is kind of scary. And guess what? Jesus overcame death. He doesn't even have to raise other people. He can raise Himself. And if he can raise himself, he can raise anybody. But the thing is, it's not just that he can raise us back to life in the physical body, which is kind of cool that he could do that. But all of us who are in Christ, we raised again eternally with brand new eternal bodies. How awesome is that? That the grave's not the end that we once thought it was. And Jesus overcame doubt. I mean, before Jesus came, people were wondering, does God really exist? What's the evidence that God exists? And then God showed up. He put on flesh. He walked around. He did things that only God can do, like he raised people and, you know, he, he fed people and he did all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, Jesus overcame and God showed up and our greatest doubts were answered. Even Thomas said, I'm not going to believe until I see him raised again and see the wounds for myself. And Jesus said, okay, here you go. If you got doubt, Jesus is the evidence, the proof that God is real and the resurrection The historical reality of Christ's resurrection is the very proof that God has overcome, that Christ is powerful, and He's with us. And so what I would say is this, in the midst of this time, in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of this this very unsettling age, that we can stand strong because we stand with Christ. But even better than that, we can stand strong because we stand in Christ that He's with us in our life and He's doing powerful things through us. And anything that we suffer today, He's actively working in the midst of it, bringing redemption. The fourth promise, that God gives me a plan when I'm uncertain. Disciples were uncertain after the crucifixion, right? They were terrified, and rightfully so, right? They, They saw God, they saw Jesus, they were convinced, this is God, the flesh, right? They saw all the miracles. They were there. They, they, they put everything in that basket. They trusted him. And then they didn't understand it, but they, they saw Jesus executed. They saw God put to death, the immortal die. They, they saw corruption kill the just one. They, they saw all of this happen. And they, they were wondering, what is the plan? And so we find them next, and they're huddled up in their upper room, and they're, they're terrified, right? Their Messiah was dead. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know what was going to happen next in their life. They were just terrified. 
In the midst of that, Jesus showed up. And he didn't just show up and he didn't just say, hey, I'm going to give you a, a, a nice new uh, uh, piece. He gives them a plan for the life. In fact, it reminds us back from uh, Jeremiah chapter 29 where, it, where God spoke to Jeremiah. He said this, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Right? Uncertainty causes us to go back to God. When we don't know what, our, what we're going to do, Oftentimes, it's the time when, when we're so afraid, we don't know what to do. Isn't that when most people pray? But here's the cool thing. You don't have to wait until you are just lost and not knowing what to do uh, to go to God. You can pray anytime. You can go to God, and guess what? God has a plan for you, not just for Jeremiah. He's got a plan for you, and God's plans are good because God is good. And he, Jesus didn't show up. Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would never perish but have eternal life. And then he goes on to say that, that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God's heart is not to see our destruction. Following Jesus, yes, we, we die to ourselves when we follow him. We say, listen, I'm stop living my life my way. I'm going to follow Jesus. But it's not bad. In fact, when we do that, it says that when we we lay down our life for his sake, we start actually really living. He frees us from selfishness and frees us for a selfless and a wonderful, full, rich life. And so God's plans for you are going to be far better than your plans ever were. And maybe your plans were disrupted here recently. Your plans may be in the midst of this difficult time. You had plans for your business or plans for your home and all that, and all of a sudden now you've got a pandemic. Guess what? God's plans for you have not changed. And if you go to him, he can help you. And his plans for you are going to be far better than anything you ever could have imagined. And so we want to go to God and say, Lord, what is your plan? A, a plan that, that brings some purpose in the midst of this. As we do that, James writes in James 1.5, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. What amazing promise. If you lack wisdom, right, if you don't know uh, what to do, God invites you, says, come and ask me. And he's not going to say, well, do you deserve my wisdom? He's going to say, yep, here you go. And so if you need wisdom, you come to him. In fact, Jesus says uh, just to ask, A-S-K, ask, seek, knock. If you want to know what God has, then you have to go to him and say, you know what, Lord, I, I really want to know what you have for my life. And maybe that's what you'd be asking today. But as we do, then he invites us to seek him. Not just to, to say, okay, God, why don't you just let it fall in my lap? He says, no, I want you to come. I want you to seek. And that's what going in Scripture is all about. That's why we have sermons. That's why church is so important. But as we go into God's Word and we discover what He has, we seek Him out, God begins to teach us a way of life that we can build our life on. And His plan for you becomes more and more clear. But also is that last part, knocking. God wants you to go right to Him. He doesn't want you to shout to His house across the street. He says, come knock on my door. And I'll, I'll let you, we'll talk. He wants you to come to him. And so we want to make sure that we are going to Christ in the midst of this. And so one of the plans that God has for us, and this is a plan that he has for all of us, is Matthew 28. That's where we started today. And so if you go back into Matthew 28, we're going to read the very last verses of that, that scripture. These are the last words of Jesus that we, as we read in the Gospel of Matthew were his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And this is what we read. 
It says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always, to the very end of the age. What an amazing promise. That's His plan for us. That's His plan. That's why we say we're disciples of Jesus to build disciples of Jesus. But what did Jesus say? He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I can tell you what to do, and this is what I want you to do. This is my plan for you. Make disciples. That's the, that's the key thing there. And how do you do that? Well, you go. You go to people. And how? What kind of people? All people. God's not discriminating here. He says, I don't care if you think that you deserve to hear the gospel. Everybody gets to hear the gospel. God loves all people. And he sends us out to all people. He says, saturate the world with good news and all these great promises. Go. Don't wait for the world to come. Don't wait for those who are lost to come. Go find them and tell them. And if they want it, great. And if they don't, that's fine. But share. Go to all people. And that's the first step. Do we have such living hope that flows out of our lives that causes us to stop worrying about ourselves, that we can begin seeing other people in the midst of their anxiety, in the midst of their fear, and that we can go to them with something of value? And as we go to them and we share the power and the goodness of God's presence, a new way to live, a rock to build our life upon, their lives can be built upon this so that they too can have stability and all the blessings and good things of Christ. He says, then we want to baptize them. What does that mean? Well, baptism, it's, it's not just being dunked underwater, which is what it means, but, but it's part of a deeper concept, a deeper thing. It's, it's about faith. It's that a person is saved by God's grace simply through faith. And how does that faith, what, you can't put faith in a bottle, so how do you know if you have faith? Well, the New Testament tells us we're supposed to express our faith. How do you express it? Well, he says, first, I want you to believe. It's, that's mental assent. It's saying, God, I'm trusting you. I may not understand everything. I may have some doubts, but I'm going to trust you, even in spite of my doubts. As you begin to answer my doubts, I'm going to trust that Jesus is my Savior, that I'm saved because of him, that, I, I, that he's paid for my sins. That's belief. But there's also, he says, I want you to confess. I want you to confess. I want you to express that faith through confession. That's saying to others in the rest of the world, I'm identifying with Jesus, which is pretty cool that God wants you to identify with him right? He's not embarrassed of you. He says, listen, I want you to, to go out of the world and say, you know what? I'm with Jesus. Be his ambassador. That's with expressing your faith. That's a way you do that. Another way that God wants us to express our faith is, is by repenting. And repenting means that we just change how we live. If I believe that Jesus is my Savior and I tell others that he's my Savior and I'm following him and I'm part of his kingdom and, and all of those things, then I need to live like that. There's a different culture that I'm part of. I'm building my life on his teachings. That's repentance. And every time we do something as Christians that's different than we normally would have because it's what Christ teaches us to do, we're building our lives on his teachings, not ours. It's an expression of faith. It's a powerful one. But another one of those expressions of faith, because other ones can be kind of hard to understand and by express those, that's what baptism is about. It means it's a time when we express our faith. And, and when we're expressing our faith in baptism, we're saying is, you know what? As Jesus was di- died and he was buried in a grave, I'm dying to myself. All the ways that I used to live, all of my anxieties, all my troubles, all my brokenness, I'm allowing those to be taken to the cross. They're dying. I'm dying to myself. But just as Jesus rose from the grave, I'm going to come out of that water. And I'm going to come into a new life, an eternal life. I'm going to be born again, not as God's enemy, but now as his child. Not as a person that's an enemy of God, but as a saint. It's pretty cool. And so I'm being born again. 
And it's also, in the waters of baptism, it also lets us know, like, when you go into water and you, you take a bath, dirt comes off. When you're baptized, you're saying, you're allowing God symbolically to remove your sin. You're saying, I have a new, fresh soul. I have a new righteousness, one that I didn't earn, but God has washed away all the things that I have done, all of my sins, past, present, and future. That God has washed away, and I am now holy before Him, ceremonially clean. And so he says, we have the privilege to be able not just to live these new lives as Christians, but to help others live that as well, to go to people and then have the privilege of helping them start this new life in Christ. But that doesn't, where it ends. Do you see the other part? It says, and then teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. That is, it's this process, a lifelong process of how to build our life on his teachings so that we can experience the great things, the promises that we've talked about today. And so this is his plan for all of us, to be his disciples, to build generational, transformational disciples. Today we talked about, as we started that, what does this look like? Four powerful promises for living hope because of the resurrection. And the first is that God gives me peace when I'm anxious. And the second there is that God gives me power when I'm weak. And the third, that God gives me protection when I'm afraid. And of course the fourth, that God gives me a plan when I'm uncertain. Could you use peace, power, protection? For a plan? Well, here's the wonderful, wonderful promise of God. It is yours because of the resurrection. And so today, as we bring this message time to a close, here's some next steps that I'm going to challenge you to take. The first one is, is would you memorize Romans 8.18? Take some time this week to remind yourself of that powerful truth that what we're going through today doesn't even compare to what God is doing through you and what he has waiting for you. Remember that living hope that'll carry us past what we're going through today, that this present storm, this, this virus, it's gonna end, but God's work in us and through us never will. And the life he has for us is unending and what waits, waits us is amazing. Can you take some time, memorize that, think about it this week? Or how about this? Maybe something you wanna do is read the gospel of Matthew. We were in it today. You saw the last chapters. I know you read the end of the book. Spoiler alert, Jesus rose. But you want to read what happened before that, all the things that he taught and what he was teaching? Read that, the Gospel of Matthew. It's amazing. Or how about this? Maybe this week what you need to do is spend some time and ask God for wisdom. Say, Lord, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I have got some ideas, but what do you think is best? I could use wisdom. I just ask him. And here's the crazy thing. God doesn't usually answer audibly. If he does, uh, I don't know. But it's never been my experience. And he can do that, but that hasn't been my experience. But what usually happens, I'll ask him for wisdom. And I trust that he gives it to me. And then it could be all kinds of different ways in life that he brings into your life. But if you go to him, it says he will absolutely grant you wisdom to handle your life. And so go to him. Maybe that's what you spend some time this week to do. Or maybe something you need to do is join us these next seven weeks. You can learn about uh, how we build our life on Christ so we can have a hope a living hope that allows us to withstand life storms that also flows through us and helps us handle things. Next week, we're going to talk about how it can help us with illness, which is kind of uh, the topic of the day. Also, death would be the week after that. We're going to talk about how we can handle failure. We're going to talk about how we can handle uh, um, uh, all kinds of difficult things with our finances, with our families as well. We're going to talk about how we can handle, uh, live a life filled with hope. We're going to talk about how we can uh, bless our community with a living hope. Join us these next seven weeks right here at Christian Church of Estes Park, uh, which is uh, funchurch.com. And of course, when this, uh, the separation order set ends, please join us here back at the building.
building. Of course, today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and if these things I'm talking about, about how to follow him, and you're like, wait a second, I, I need to, to believe and confess and repent and be baptized and, and be discipled and all that kind of stuff. That's what I want you to do. Is on that, uh, there's a connection card. There's a link there on the bottom of uh, the description. It's on that page. If you click that, let us know. Or you can go to our website, funchurch.com, and click contact us. Let me know. Uh, and so we can contact you, and so we can be helping you uh, take those steps of faith and starting this new life in Christ. What a great time to do that, uh, to come alive in Christ even today. Now, as I bring this part of the message to a close, hope you all have some next steps this week and some hope to live on, begin uh, uh, helping you grow in joy. Uh, let me close with, uh, by blessing you with this prayer. Let me pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for coming to this world, for joining us in the midst of our brokenness, for loving us more than we hated you. Father, thank you for dying for our sins so that we could have eternal life forever with you in Christ. Thank you for saving us from the pain of this world to the glory of the kingdom. Thank you for giving us the gift of your Holy Spirit and the promise that you are with us always, even to the very end of the age. Lord, I pray today a blessing over each one that is listening today as we celebrate the resurrection. Grow our faith. Help us to, to build our lives on you so that we can have a living hope in the midst of these dark times that we can shine bright. Father God, I pray that you would do this in such a way that we wouldn't just be blessed ourselves, but you would make us a blessing for our community, that those we live around. May your peace, may your power, may your protection, and may your plan guide us and guard us as we live for you, we pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us.